Are you ready to talk about the motion picture shows? I don't know. I'd probably have to say yeah on that one, question mark. Three hours for a movie? Welcome to Football's Day. I needed this thing to end quick, fast, and in a hurry. Is it though? Is it a good movie? Yes. I think so. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. You know any good spots on the west side? I do. I know several. <laughs> Tell them Justin sent you. Oh, Justin the Justin the cheese. No. <laughs> Justin the famacho. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is not correct. <laughs> Uh, hi, Justin. I am sorry that you are, don't feel very good, and I wish I could make you feel better. Oh, that's fine. You know, it's one of them things that a girl goes through. <laughs> uh, I was singing that song the other day. <laughs> I don't want to take it out on you. Yeah, yeah I got one of them uh, one of them kidney stones, and it's uh, doing a number on me. Not, uh, not doing so good, but that's okay. We're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Goodfellas from 1990. Can you believe it? 32 years ago, this motion picture show came out. My goodness. Uh, It's directed by Martin Scorsese, who you might know from Casino, which we did on this show. Raging Bull, The Irishman, which we did on this show. (laughs) The Wolf of Wall Street and The Departed with the Boston folk. My freaking head. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh casino is so good it is really good anyway we won't we won't get into that because i can talk about casino forever uh but it was written by nicola Peligi and martin scorsese uh it's actually based on a book uh do you remember what the name of the book is called i think it's called like wise guys or something like that um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's called something like Wise Guys. And actually, Nicholas Poligi uh, also wrote, wrote Casino, but he also did uh, the script for Casino, too, um, with with Scorsese. Yeah, the book is called Wise Guy. Wise One guy. guy. It's about yeah. Henry Hill. Get a friend, guy. <laughs> Look at this guy. <laughs> this wise guy. <laughs> the cast includes Robert De Niro, a.k.a. Bobby D, on this ba- podcast. Ah, bada bing. Hey. Buck kiss. Gabagoo. You got Ray Liotta, which, by the way, so we saw this on uh, HBO. At least I watched it on HBO Max. And there was a nice little send-off to Ray Liotta at the beginning. That was like, you know, thank you for all these amazing movies and stuff. I thought that was nice. Um, Joe Pesci, Lorraine Bracco, Paul Sorvino, Frank Sivero, and Frank Vincent. Uh, the critical reception is extremely kind. This is a 96% on the old tomato meter there. I can't imagine you're one of those people that don't enjoy this movie, like Adam Mars Jones from Independent in the UK. He says, Robert De Niro is reliably dynamic, and Joe Pesci's portrait of a gangster with a sense of humor is hideously memorable. But there's no doubt that Goodfellas fights a losing battle against numbness. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I I do know that there are some folks out there that get a little, like, tired of the last, like, 40 minutes, you know, like, post Joe Pesci. Mm -hmm. Uh, The movie could end for a lot of people right there. Uh, but there's still a ways to go. It's a still long movie. Fast, fascinating to think about, though. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. 
Uh, Jay Carr from the Boston Globe says, anti-romantic, it nevertheless sweeps us off, sweeps us into the allure of mob glamour, then slams us with the cost of admission. Yeah. We'll get into that later, because I think that's an interesting point. Um, let's see. Pauline Kale from The New Yorker says, is it a great movie, question mark? I don't think so, but it's a triumphant piece of filmmaking journalism presented with the burrito of drama. A burrito of drama? Yeah, burrito, yeah. A breakfast burrito of drama. With eggs and potatoes and everything? All and, gaba- and gabagool? The fixins, as they say. There you go. Um, but there you have it. There's some the reviews. And um, let's see. The budget was $25 million. The gross in the United States and Canada, a whopping $46.9 million. Opening weekend, it did $6.3 million, and that was supposedly on September 23rd of 1990. Worldwide, you're looking at $47 million. You said WAP. That is offensive in the Italian culture. I said WAPing. I know. Um, so there is, a, there, there is a WAP guy. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like Jimmy the WAP or something it, like uh, that. It's Frankie the WAP. Hello. Hello. Did you even see the movie? <laughs> D and G, hello. No, I'm I'm like the guy that said it was really long and boring, shallow and pedantic. So, there you go. <laughs> uh, so according to Henry Hill, whose life was the basis for the book and film, Joe Pesci's portrayal of Tommy De Simone was ninety to ninety nine percent accurate, with one notable exception: the real Tommy De Simone was massively built. I thought. I mean, Robert De Niro is kind of a big guy, but not like huge. So uh, wait, the real Tommy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, Joe Pesci. I guess Joe Pesci is pretty yeah, small. Yeah, Joe Pesci is not all that yeah. tall. He's like yeah, I was thinking two. of Jimmy. I was thinking too many, too many wise, but I was thinking of Jimmy. Yeah, no, Joe Pesci is small. I saw he him in small. person once. Mm-hmm. Uh, was he like, okay, 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 okay. No, okay, no, okay. no. I, I didn't get to talk to him at all. It, it was just literally I was like 10 feet away from him. He was going the other way, but he was uh, he was not tall. Did you see him at the drive-thru? <laughs> no. <laughs> Fuck you in the drive-thru. No, it was at a golf course. It was at like the Celebrity Skins game. And I just happened to be like by the first hole at one point and he was there teeing off. And I was just like, wow, he's a short man. <laughs> Oompa Loompa. The how am I funny scene is based on something that actually happened to Joe Pesci. While working in a restaurant, a young Pesci apparently told a mobster that he was funny. A compliment that was meant uh, uh, with a less uh, that was met with less than enthusiastic response. Pesci relayed the anecdote to Martin Scorsese, who decided to include it in the film. Scorsese didn't include the scene in the shooting script so that Pesci and Ray Liotta's interactions would elicit genuinely surprised reactions from the supporting cast. So that's interesting. So when you watch that scene again, pay attention to everyone else because, I mean, Ray Liotta does a great job. And and I should just say this. Ray Liotta does a phenomenal job in this movie. He is just like on in 11 uh, the entire time. But he definitely is like terrified. He's like, Tommy, what do you? I said, I'm sorry, sort of thing. He's like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I had you. You know, I don't know about you, Henry. <laughs> like you crack under pressure. <laughs> so I like it when he's like, uh, he's like, Bing, what are you doing here? I thought I told you to go fuck your mother. <laughs> he's like, ow, Bing. <laughs> oh, I'm out. <laughs> I know, it's so good. The studio was initially very nervous about the film due to its extreme violence and language. The film reportedly received the worst... Re- preview response in the studio's history and then be warner brothers by the way and oh. that is fascinating yeah warner brothers they um those studio execs they uh i would do the opposite of whatever they think yeah me too they tend to uh 
they tend to zig when they should have zigged in their movie making <laughs> processes. Exactly. Martin Scorsese said that the numbers were so low it was funny. Nevertheless, the film was released without alteration to overwhelmingly critical acclaim, cementing Scorsese's reputation as one of America's foremost filmmakers. And that's pretty incredible. So I'm wondering, this this pretty much put him on the map. I mean, he did The Color of Money, and he did, like, Mean Streets before this, but this really put him on the map, I, well, I think. Yeah, because, I mean, he always had, like, those gritty crime drama type right. movies. Um, yeah, and then this, King this, of Com or King of Comedy, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. and then, like, Taxi Driver, all that stuff. Um, he's got some He's got some gnarly motion picture shows there. He definitely does. So this is... This is one that really got him to where he needed to be. Um, and then he basically had like carte blanche after that to do whatever he wanted sort of thing. Um, he And he's he's just known for that. And so Goodfellas was his his jumping off point, in my, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, it's funny is because I mean, like so Mean Streets, uh, fucking Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, The King of Comedy, uh, even Last Temptation of Christ. I had seen all of those movies before I was 18 years old. Mm hmm. Goodfellas came out when I was 10. That's crazy. Uh, but I had seen all of those in my teenage years. And he did Cape Fear the next year. I like Cape Fear actually quite a bit. Counselor. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I don't like them stalker type movies. Dude, it's creepy as hell. And Nick Nolte's like, oh, come on, Tommy. There are the pills in your jacket. Yeah. It's not like a goddamn Morocco in your hands of the I heard three clicks. <laughs> <laughs> And then after after Casino, he did Kundun, which was the first movie that I saw with my ex-wife. I don't know what Kundun is. I it never, deals, oh, I know what it is. It's uh yeah, it's dealing with like the Tibet and yeah, um, the Dalai Lama. Yep, and how he escapes. Yeah, I remember seeing posters of that at my local video store, and I was like, "What is Kundun?" And I didn't yeah. get it. <laughs> so uh, it was that was right next to Bad Girls, the movie with Drew Barrymore and oh, yeah. Madeline Stowe and a cowgirl movie. Yeah. They're bad, and they know it, and they're beautiful. Um, okay, Al Pacino was offered the role of Jimmy Conway. He turned it down due to fears of typecasting. <laughs> Coincidentally, the same year, Pacino ended up playing an even more stereotyped gangster and Justin's favorite Al Pacino character, Big Boy, Big Boy Caprice, Caprice in yeah. Dick Tracy. He admits regretting the decision. <laughs> oh, man. He's the highlight of that movie, man. He's he so got a, He got an Oscar nod for it. He got a uh, Best Supporting Actor nod for oh, his role so as Big Boy movie. Caprice. I did he's, not kidnap this woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, I mean, he's just good in general, but could you imagine him as Jimmy Conway? Uh, no, I can't. Robert De Niro is just incredible. Yeah, this this is one of those roles. Like, I honestly I feel like that it was this role uh, for Jimmy that makes that kind of personifies that character of Robert De Niro. You know, like oh, sure. he's like the what did I tell you? What did I tell you? Didn't I tell you not to buy anything? You know, just like kind of being that that Robert De Niro that we know. I mean, we can all say you know you talking to me. You know, like from Taxi Driver, mm. but. I think it's the Jimmy Conway that's sort of like this amalgamation of all of the different uh, Bobby D roles that just kind of uh, cram into this one. And it works great. It totally does. And it's the jump off point that pretty much got him to where he needed to be. So like we see that in a Bronx tale in casino um, heat. You see it in heat. Obviously the fan even. I know a lot of people don't like that, but I used to watch it on stars growing up. I saw it like three times. Um, he's weird and scary in that one too. Copland, Jackie Brown, he does the exact same kind of role and it's, but it's great. He's such a good actor that you, you see that kind of, you see the Tommy inside of, or the Jimmy inside of him quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed the hell out of it. And he just, 
all the behind the scenes stuff said that basically like the phone booth scene when you find out that um that Tommy gets gets whacked basically. He didn't make it. <laughs> he they they did that in one take because because De Niro was just so he he had so much anger and he was ingrained into the role. It just uh, I loved it, man. It was really good. No, no, no. You he know, just smashing the phone booth. I mean, he has no problem killing everybody, but you know his boy Tommy. So, um, and then finally, the long tracking shot through the Copacabana nightclub came about because the filmmakers couldn't get permission to go in the short way, for- forcing them to go around the back. Martin Scorsese decided to film the sequence in one unbroken shot in order to symbolize that Henry's entire life was ahead of him. It's his seduction of her, Karen, and it's also the lifestyle seducing him. This sequence was shot eight times. I watched a fantastic YouTube video called The Art of the Scene, where they broke that down. It's really cool. Uh, and fun fact, do you know that they when they enter the kitchen, they exit through the exact same way? They just do a circle. A circle? Yeah. yeah. It, look, it looks like they do a circle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So because um, they're looking they, at the food and all exactly and hi to everybody. But yeah, they totally do like a total 180. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to the Rewatchables podcast, too, when they did this one. Do you how much do you think uh, Henry gave out in tips that night? He was given 20s. How much do you think he gave out to people that night? Uh, can I count really fast? Yeah. So the driver, uh, the guy that's watching the car anyway, yeah. uh, the doorman. Then uh, he there's a guy eating a sandwich, which I don't believe he gives money to. No, um, then the sandwich the, look good though. <laughs> then there's the two. Every, every time with you two, there's those people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then they open up the door to the kid. Maybe one more in between the kitchen and the hallway, and then uh, they get to the restaurant. Then there's the head waiter. Uh, so that's four. Then there's the other uh, bus boy guy that's helping with like the the table setting it up. So. A hundred bucks, close. It's it's about one hundred and twenty to one hundred and forty. Okay. I think is is what they counted. But it's so it's crazy. There, were, there were two guys setting up the table, so it is possible yeah. that both of those guys got the table in addition to yeah. the head waiter. So that like would yeah, be the major yeah. D they give it to you know, and I just I love it so much, and we'll talk about it later too. But that little tiny lamp that they plug in just right there too, it's um pretty crazy. I mean, Scorsese needed that in there because he said you know growing up as a kid he would see that he'd be like oh we're in the front row this is so great but then they'd always put tables in front of him because wise guys would come up and they're like well shit we can't do anything about it what are we gonna say you know these 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 wise guys are here and they're just spitting out money left and right so pretty crazy stuff so here's the synopsis for anybody who has not seen goodfellas and like justin said it is streaming on hbo max um i did not see the ray Liotta part uh the the in, in memoriam thing so that's very touching i yeah. really enjoy that uh, it might be because I didn't skip anything. Like once I selected it, I was growing to grab food and then I just turned around and I saw the note. Did it beginning. go? Did it go? Will you remember me? It did not. No. <laughs> so, okay. Well, here's a synopsis. If you have not seen Goodfellas. While driving tonight, Henry Hill, Jimmy Conway and Tommy DeVito are surprised to find that the dead body in the trunk isn't totally dead. These three guys they're wise guys. Flashback to Henry's childhood. He gets a part-time job at a at a cab stand run by local gangsters. He digs the extravagant mafia lifestyle and eventually quits school so he can work there full-time. Mob boss Paul Pauly Cicero becomes Henry's surrogate father and introduces Henry to Jimmy. Jimmy the gent, I should say. Hijacker extraordinaire. And Tommy, another young thug with a fiery temper. Most of the criminal activity, including the robbery of an Air France cargo terminal, are centered upon Idlewild Airport, now John F. Kennedy International Airport. 
I didn't know that. Henry marries Karen. In 1970, Tommy whacks Billy Bats, a made man with a Gambino family, after Bats insults him. Bats? He's the guy in the trunk. Henry helps cover up the murder, burying Bats' dead body in the woods. Later, they're forced to move it, move it when plans for housing development are announced. Henry also has a girlfriend, Janice. When Karen discovers that her husband is Janice cheating... Janice Rossi! <laughs> <laughs> There's a whore living here! <laughs> She goes to Janice's apartment, uh, her daughter's in tow and harasses her. She's cool with turning a blind eye to what Henry does to make the cash that supports their comfy lifestyle. She is not cool with Janice. Karen then threatens to kill Henry and he moves in with Janice until Polly ultimately orders him to go back to his explosive wife. Henry travels to Tampa with Jimmy for a job. They rough up a guy that owes Polly money, but his sister, an FBI typist, turns them all in. Henry and Jimmy are both sentenced to 10 years in the slammer, and Jimmy serves his time in Atlanta while Henry does his with Polly and several other members of the family in New York, where they cook indulgent Italian dinners because everybody knows smuggled salami is the tastiest salami. Meanwhile, Henry starts selling drugs to support his real family on the outside. What were you expecting? White picket fences? After four years, Henry gets released from the big house. He ignores Polly's instruction to knock it off with the drugs and enlists the help of Jimmy and Tommy behind Polly's back. In 1978, their crew pulls off the Lufthansa heist, netting around $5 million. When several of the associates start flashing their big bucks around, Jimmy has them all whacked. Later, Tommy is tricked into thinking he's going to be a made man and be officially ordained into the family. Instead, he's murdered in revenge for the murder of Billy Betts. Then go get your fucking shoe shine box. Yeah. Uh, what can we say? Things don't always go as planned in Mafia Land. On May 11th, 1980, Henry gets busted on narcotics charges in his driveway. Inside the house, Karen flushes $600,000. I think it's 60000 60. It is. This synopsis is wrong. Flushes $60,000 worth of drugs down the toilet, leaving the family broke. After Henry is released on bail, Polly gives him a small chunk of change before turning his back on him. $3,200 approximately. Jimmy also gives Karen a handout. Realizing that Jimmy is planning to kill him, Henry identifies both Jimmy and Polly as big bad mobsters in court and enters the witness protection program with Karen and their kids. Abandoning the gangster lifestyle and being reduced to an average schnook devastates him, because who would be happy if their life wasn't in danger every day? A postscript tells the audience that Polly died in prison in 1988, Henry and Karen went Splitsville in 1989, and Jimmy is serving 20 to life, and after getting arrested on further drug charges in 1987, Henry is now clean and still in hiding. I think he died, though. He so just died, I, yeah. But yeah. he's not that good at hiding. He's like on the Howard Stern show. He's fucking I know. all over the place. I was wondering that. I watched interviews with him. I'm like, wait, he's in witness protection? Like, he's going to get whacked, though. Yeah. So, yeah, that was... um. Very interesting. So, yeah, he definitely uh, this. I got the synopsis from not Wikipedia. I don't know if I liked it very much. I might just go back to Wikipedia, but I applaud whoever wrote it because you're a smart person. So, Justin, when did you first see Goodfellas and what were your initial thoughts? Also, how many times in your life have you seen this movie? My goodness. So I saw Goodfellas uh, right when it came out on home video. So it probably would have been uh, the spring of 91 when I saw it and I remember I watched it with my mom. We went to the video store together and it just came out on new releases. We rented it. It was like on a Saturday and we put it in and the fucking intro. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like, what the fuck is that? It's like the first note, the first line of dialogue drops the F bomb and then they open up the trunk and they're just shooting and stabbing and all kinds of crazy. 
My mom was like, oh, my God, I don't know if we should watch this. It was pretty funny. You're like, easy. Yeah, oh, man, it was funny. She's like, oh, it was almost, she says, which is like uh, Armenian for, like, not proper. And, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah, and so we we watched it, and it was good. I mean, I, I, I had already seen, like, Scarface at this point in my life, so, like, I'm, I was already up to snuff on my mob movies. And, uh, yeah, it was great. Definitely how many t- how many times do you think you've seen it in your life? Uh, I, I probably over twenty times. That's a pretty that's good fair. amount. Yeah, it's a pretty kind good of amount. a go-to. Yeah, you should probably make it an even twenty-two to make it or thirty-two, so that way it'd be uh, one for every year it's been Oof. around. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's one of those ones where it's interesting because, uh, like, uh, you, last week we were talking about Happy Gilmore, and I watched that the day my cat went down. Yeah. And, oh, I uh, remember this. Goodfellas story. is a. Yeah. I watched Goodfellas before I took my cat to go uh, be put down. So it's kind of an interesting double feature. So the part of me will always remember my kitty whenever this movie comes on. So I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. I don't mind. Yeah, All that right. still sucks. Yeah, that's oh, okay. It's like that Sarah McLaughlin song. Will you remember me? Because I will remember you. Yeah. <laughs> Sung by Andy Bernard. So I think it would only be fitting as we open this episode that we discuss the opening of the film. We get right down to it within the first five minutes to show us that this movie may not be sunshine and rainbows. It's a lot of stabbing and shooting. Yeah. How, how did you feel after seeing what was in the trunk? Are there any other films that have openings that really kind of took you by surprise and you were like, whoa? Yeah, I mean, so this one for sure totally caught me off guard. You, you know, they're like, is that like a flat tire? What's going on? And when they open <laughs> yeah. the trunk, they're like, oh, my run gosh. over something. <laughs> yeah. And then like when he closes the trunk, you know, it has that really fun camera shot that kind of goes up his body and into his face. So he's like, all my life I've wanted to be a gangster. You know, and the music oh, starts playing. It's a really cool it. intro. But I remember thinking, all right, well, let's let's go for a ride. <laughs> Want to go for a ride. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I was hooked. I was like, holy smokes. That's, that's quite the, quite the beginning. I mean, honestly, me and my mom just looked at each other like, holy crow, this is a crazy movie. <laughs> and uh, we watched a mom, lot of movies together. Was your mom like, why did I rent this? <laughs> no, no, she's, she's pretty liberal when it comes to like art and, and oh, movies that's and funny. stuff. Um, but I remember her just kind of shaking her head like, damn it, I picked another one. It was the same woman that took me to see RoboCop. So she's she's uh, got a bad track record when it comes to violent movies. Do you want to see uh, Slasher Camp 27? <laughs> it might be kind of a good family movie. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, other movies with, uh, with an opening that kind of grabbed me? Is that what the question was? Yeah, that kind of shook you that you're like, holy shit, yeah, yeah, I wasn't yeah. expecting that. Sure, so uh, Scream is probably my all-time favorite opening to a movie yeah, uh, in all of go. cinema. Uh, just holy smokes, I remember seeing it at the drive-in, and I was just like, fuck me, dude, I'm never answering my phone ever again. <laughs> and um, and that is being pretty decent at movie trivia, and I would still be scared to, to answer that phone call. Um, Starship Troopers is another one with the opening where it begins on the planet P and the invasion and and uh, all these people are dying and then yeah. fucking Castro Van Dien gets like his leg all pierced and you think he dies like isn't he the main guy in this movie what's he gonna oh, die in I was like I want my money back yeah. damn it I came for CVD and that's yeah. it <laughs> we work for the money in this house we just don't be giving it away <laughs> and um, I would say that um Fucking, uh, you know what's another good one that really got me like right from the beginning was uh, from Dust Till Dawn. Like I really oh. like uh, Benny's World of Blood, and uh, well, I mean it's called Benny's whatever liquor or whatever. And he's like, I'll change his name to Benny's World of Blood, and then they have like that whole shootout, 
and it's Crazy Town Banana Pants. I really like that intro. Uh, I would say Jaws, probably. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, another good totally. one. That really sets the tone for the entire movie, and you're like, what? Okay, yeah, I don't want to swim for any time yeah. anytime soon. <laughs> that drunk guy on the beach, he's got the right idea. Just yeah. hang out on the sand. You go swim, I'm just going to fall asleep here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wake me up when you get back. Um, so that's, that's a couple that uh, really just sort of got me awake and I was ready for more. Yeah, and I would say like uh, to add on that too, Jurassic Park, the intro to that is very, because you know it's a dinosaur movie and the whole shoot is yeah. just, you're like, whoo, okay. So this isn't just going to be brachiosauruses and stuff. This is going to be a lot of, a lot of death. <laughs> yeah, and there's um, all that shrieking and hissing and, oh, and yeah. the, the cargo hold is all shaken and everything yeah it's pretty crazy and that poor man i hope he had insurance life insurance for his i family. think they did and that's why the family was coming that's why the lawyer was there to oh, yeah, uh that's to settle a lawsuit yeah yeah i'd say i'd say so um that was a uh, very very interesting and tricky but yeah I, I agree with your list i think it's great um i would say the dark knight also that one more shocking because even though we knew the joker was in it i was like what is going on? And Dude, then just killing all those it, guys. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. He's like split five ways. Oh, that's funny. He's split four ways or whatever. And then just a wonderful, wonderful opening. That one maybe wasn't as shocking as some of the other ones, but you're right. The scream one, we have Drew Barrymore, who's an incredibly recognizable character. And you're like, wow, she died very quickly and in such a gruesome way. So um, I agree. I think the thing I liked about it so much is, is the lighting, the the camera work, and just the... You look in the trunk and you're like, who is this person? How did they kill him? And holy shit, Joe Pesci is just stabbing him with a butcher knife. So this movie is intense, and then it, it's capped off it's with the exclamation point of, my whole life I always wanted to be a gangster. And you're mm-hmm. like, whoa! <laughs> I don't want to be a gangster if it involves that shit. So. <laughs> Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Yeah, exactly. So I talk to my dying. <laughs> So Scorsese does an absolutely fantastic job in his character development when he writes a script. Goodfellas is no exception. This movie is filled with loads of mafia faces, which are introduced throughout the film. The whole introducing the crew scene and they're like, and then there's Justin two-time Cavender and he's like, hello, you know? Oh yeah, at the Bamboo Lounge. Oh, love it so much. And there's yeah. Johnny two-times or whatever. He's like, I'm gonna go get the papers. <laughs> go get the papers. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. It's, he goes, he's like, there's Jimmy, Tommy, and me. And then there's Anthony Stable and then Frank Carbone. Mo Black's brother, Fat Andy, and his guys, Frankie the Wop, Freddie No-Nos, Pete the Killer, who's Sally Ball's brother. He's like, I hey, took care of that thing for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then there's Nicky Eyes and Mikey Francesi and then Jimmy Two Times. And he's like, I'm going to go get the papers, get the papers. Like, we're supposed to know who Mo Black is. So it's like, it's yeah. Mo Black's brother, right? So <laughs> And <laughs> Sally Ball's his brother, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, I love it. But I mean... What what I mean is he just does such a good job of introducing these characters to make you feel like you're already a part of this world. Mm-hmm. And and it's done on purpose. It's filmed from a POV standpoint where they also they kind of break the fourth wall, sort of, where he's it's like a long tracking shot. And this is done in a one or also. But all the all the characters stop what they're doing to look up and they're like, hey, there, you know, I took care of that thing for you as they get introduced. And I, I love when that kind of shit happens. So um, the one thing I'll say, though, is I, I wonder, though, because I would never be able to remember all their names. I, I don't know if you remembered all their names or if you just looked at a list, but uh, were there actually too many characters to introduce? 
and I guess what I'm asking is like, what was the purpose of showing us, you know, Paulie's second cousin's friend, for example? Why, why do we need to know every single one of these mobsters? Are they all integral to the story? Right. Nicki Minaj's cousin's <laughs> neighbor or whatever. Exa- exactly. Um, yeah. So I think the reason why that is there is just to show that it is one giant family, you know, like it, it is a, a crew and, and a group of, of close knit people that are in everyone's business. Um, and I, I think that's the purpose that it serves. Uh, and even even like uh, Lorraine Bracco's character, when she's getting introduced to everybody at the Pete wedding, where they're all Peter and Paul, and then all and the girls are named Marie. Marie. And, uh, and that's what it feels like, you know, and it's just overwhelming. And I think the point of that is to feel overwhelmed that this is a life that I can't be a part of. You know, it's just it's too much. And we even see that when, uh, like in the Copacabana scene or anywhere they go where they just know everybody and they're always shaking hands with random extra number one or random extra number five, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's just they are very well-known men. So for being being these crime bosses and stuff, they're they're pretty notorious, you know, notoriously known. But right. Like when the one guy knocks on the door and Robert Janelle's like, who is it? He's like, it's me. He's like, Pete? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that was stupid. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's pretty good. Old pistol feet. It's I, like I, I think though the one weird thing is they end up killing a lot of those characters from what I remember at least because I think some of them were part of the the Lufthansa um, heist and and I think some of them die. I know like Frankie Carbone dies and then uh, like one of the brothers, the 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 salad meat brother or something like that. One of them dies and then another one too. They um. It's yes. like our our loyalty only runs so deep, but if you fuck up a plan, if you fuck up a heist, then you're you're donezo sort of thing. Right, because they all went and bought stuff that they weren't supposed to, and Stax left the the van. He got uh, high. Samuel, and left Samuel the Jackson's character uh, left the the van all high, and they got a print, so they had to cut their cut their loose ends, as it were. That's crazy. I mean, and when Henry, towards the end, when he gets stopped by the arrested by the police, the narcotics officers, um, he's like, you know, I know this is a cop by the way he talks. If it was anyone else, I would be dead already. They wouldn't say a word sort of thing. And I think it's it's that constant fear. You're like, yeah, you know, like, this is great. I know everybody, but holy shit. I mean, at the drop of a hat, if I mess up, if I say you're a funny guy, I could get shot or something like that. So. It doesn't matter the allegiance. It's 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 all about basically um, the end game for everybody, which there is no real end game. Yeah, it's just to survive, I guess. That's why I like in, in Donnie Brasco and he's like, I got sent for. And they're like, so he goes, he goes, well, that's an odd thing. When you get sent for, you go in alive, you come out dead and it's your best friend that does it to you. Oof. That's yeah. heavy and really sad. So this is the business we've chosen. As uh, Hyman Ross well, says. I wasn't mad. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. is the business we've chosen. Thanks. Now I'm going to have to watch Godfather Part 2 later. Sure. Uh, okay. So you, and I said this on a couple podcasts ago, I, I believe that you truly do have an excellent ear for music. You're always singing. You're always... <laughs> it's like a mix of Fergie and Jesus. <laughs> you're always singing. You're always humming. Or you're making up songs on hum, the fly. I don't hum. I'm not one of them ho-hummers. The humdingers. Yeah, I don't do that. <laughs> but when you were watching this movie, Goodfellas, I felt that the soundtrack was a lot more apparent than in other films in recent memory. They did a very, very good job of blending the score to what was happening on the scene. And by score, I mean they were using real life songs like Layla and like I think the Ronettes was in there too, mm-hmm. and uh, the Rolling Stones. 
How do you feel about the soundtrack and how did it enhance the film for you? Yeah, so I like the soundtrack a lot in this movie. I tend to like Scorsese's picks when it comes to songs. But um, one of the things about his movies is that when the music first comes on, it's always like 80,000 decibels higher than any <laughs> other <pretty> fucking <laughs> noise in the movie. And then it'll it'll fade down quite a bit. But anytime the music kicks on, it's always so goddamn loud. That's just the way he makes his movies. And so it kind of just, it's like an attention getter, I think. And uh, a lot of times it's not uncommon for the music to help sort of tell the story, right? If it's doing its job, it's helping, you know, uh, it's holding your hand through the the storytelling process. And so his movies, uh, because he uses, you know, released, uh, you know, musical numbers, uh, it's always good to sort of jive with whatever times the movie t- is taking place in, right? So this one starts in, uh, you know, the ultimately it's in the 70s, then it goes back to the 50s and then 60s and 70s and then the 80s. So you do get uh, quite uh, an eclectic uh, mix of music, but it's always fitting to the time period that you're in. And, and it's it's quite pleasing. And a lot of times it kind of leans on that nostalgia ear for a lot of people towards like, oh yeah, I love this song. This is great. Mm-hmm. Like Christmas. Is <laughs> yeah. And um, it's great. He always, he always uses the Rolling Stones too. He does. He, lo- he loves Gimme Shelter. He yeah. uses it in like almost every damn movie. But honestly, it works really well because it's just such a raw and... Yeah, it's and a chaotic song. It is. And, it, and, it, and he does it usually in montage scenes or something. Someone's about to get killed. So I think it's like the you know the oh that's a signature someone's about to die sort of thing. yeah he you know like so for example probably my favorite use of music is is when he uses layla uh in this eric clapton's layla when uh maury dies when maury's begging or he's bugging jimmy about the money he's like where's my money i want my money or whatever right and they go and they kill him they don't use the typical uh chorus of layla or anything else they use the piano part and so apparently in this in the script scorsese already had this written in was like we're going to be playing this part of Layla, like the piano part of Layla. It wasn't it wasn't a post fact thing. So they needed to if you watch it again, um, they needed to line up all the shots with how the, the piano went. And it really added to this. Like there's that slow mo scene of, of De Niro. He's like, remember that thing about tonight? Forget about it. Right. Yeah. Um, it's oh, it's really terrifying because you kind of think because it's a more lighthearted song. So you're like, oh, OK, well, maybe nothing will happen. But as soon as they start walking down the alley, you're like, oh, fuck he's yep, here it comes <laughs> oh and it's so gross how he dies too yeah it's like an ice pick in the back of his head yeah i like frank carbone though he's like i gotta let it warm up he's like what are you talking about he's like if i let him drive i have a better chance of leaving <laughs> yeah. So. yeah he's funny he's like take that coffee to go he's still doing it <laughs> Oh man, Dude, Carbona is like the worst haircut in he the does. history of humans ever. It's <laughs> fucking drives me insane. It's pretty bad. It's pretty terrible. But I, I really, really enjoy the music and like the, the famous shot that we love so much, the Copacabana um, shot, is that. Um, and then he kissed me. Yeah, that, you know that one because it's their, the it's crystals. their first or what second date technically, mm-hmm. and it's it's so we're experiencing it kind of through Karen's eyes, even though we're a third party, um, you know, viewer, we're experiencing it through Karen's eyes of like, holy shit, like all this stuff. He, he, he knows all these people we get in down here. He knows sandwich man. He knows the maitre d. We get to sit right at the front. He shakes all these people's hands and she's like, what do you do? He's like, I'm in construction. Yeah. <laughs> so quick yeah I'm a union delegate. <laughs> I'm a union delegate. He was so quick. So 
in her mind, she's like, oh, this is so great and so romantic. And she does get seduced by it. And I think that song is meant to seduce us. Mm-hmm. Um, it really does. And it works so brilliantly. And it's honestly like watching that again and talking with you about it uh, via text and stuff. I was thinking, I'm like, man, this is such an incredible shot. Like we compare it to the Boogie Nights shot because I loved how that introduces pretty much every character you need and the lifestyle in the first like three minutes. And this is kind of that same thing where it's like, this lifestyle looks so glamorous where I can walk into a busy club, get sat right at the front, don't even have to wait in line. Um, and I just, I just know everybody. It'd be, it kind of seems fun to be, to be a wise guy, mm-hmm. but yeah. You know, uh, interesting fact about, um, and then he kissed me by the crystals. It was actually written by Phil Spector. Uh, oh, who, you know, yeah. was convicted of like murder. Yeah, he's a real he's a real piece. Yeah, so. he did a lot. Of, I think he even wrote the Christmas song by Darling yeah. Love, too. I think he did. Yeah. Crazy. I don't like it. So we are both fans of Martin Scorsese. Um, I think you could easily say that. Yeah, he's if, OK. <laughs> he's all right. <laughs> if someone were to Fucking ask hack. me. <laughs> I know he's a flash in the pan. Um, if someone were to ask me, I believe that I could provide my answer for the most part of why I like Martin Scorsese. But how could you explain the appeal of what Martin Scorsese does to you? Sure. So a lot of his movies are pretty gritty and gnarly. They're not like beautiful Hollywood movies, uh, almost like a spaghetti Western, but in like, you know, a downtown setting. And I think that he really captures just sort of the raw. Yeah downtown vibe yeah. uh yeah it's just unclean you know it's it's a it's a messy world and and it has a high and a low and you get really really high with with how glamorous uh flopsy flopsy and <laughs> you uh, gonna say that <laughs> and then and then it comes crashing down man and that is not uncommon for a scorsese movie it's like it's everything's going on track and then it just fucking derails and it's just a hard landing and it never it doesn't stick in, in a good way and uh, I just I find that appealing. I mean, I'm a sucker for a happy ending, and I don't know if you ever really get a happy ending in a Scorsese movie. But uh, Hugo, maybe in the movie Hugo, yeah, <laughs> at least in his mobby type movies, yeah. uh, they tend to be pretty pretty sad. Uh, but I mean, in the in the, you know in the sense of like Taxi Driver and um, you know fucking Casino and Goodfellas, uh, Departed. Uh, those are all just like, whoa, 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 crazy, slow down, pump the brakes, and there are no brakes. They're, discon- they're disconnected, and you're going to crash, and it's it's pretty gnarly. And so I, I really enjoy that. I just, I'm, as someone that always sees, like, the beauty of Hollywood, especially in the era that we're coming out of, right? Because, I mean, this old Hollywood was all these, the glitz and glam, and then enter the you know the early 70s and 80s and and movies are just ugly man and he did a really good job of showing that ugly side but in a beautiful way that's yeah, my answer i totally agree with you on that i like the way you put that a spaghetti western in like a in like a gritty uh, urban area because you do look at a lot of his movies mean streets king of comedy uh taxi driver goodfellas all that stuff and it it is very gritty it's not clean like even though even though it's it, it, in Goodfellas, I think the purpose truly is to show you how amazing and how enticing and seductive the life can be. But then you realize like, holy shit, at the drop of a hat, your your quote unquote best friend could shoot somebody because they they said fuck you to them sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, so I, I think it's like cautionary in that sense. And it's meant to be like you can look at this tasty fruit, but you can never take a bite of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think a good reminder of that is when they're at like the country club. 
and then Lorraine Bracco, Karen sees like a former, like a neighbor, you know, like that boy that she grew up with. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he forces his way onto her. And then here comes our buddy Ray Liotta, who just gets a gun and just beats the fucking <laughs> piss out of him. And then he hands Karen the gun yeah. and, and it's all bloody mess. And she's like immediately turned on by that. She's like holding this bloody pistola and she's like turned on. And that just kind of shows that she is she is gonna be a part of this life. And it's 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 pretty nail biting, man. It's crazy. It's very nail biting. I do like that neighbor when he's like, What do you want, fucko? And I'm yeah. like, Fucko. <laughs> yeah. You got him, man. Well, that that leads me actually, I'm gonna jump to question number eight on the uh on the program. Uh so that leads me to my my other question too, perfectly. So Casino, The Irishman, Goodfellas, and Wolf of Wall Street are examples of of great films of his. And the plots are actually nothing groundbreaking, in my opinion, but I don't think that that's the purpose of those movies. I think it's it's to show you the seedy underbelly like we were talking about and the workings of a life of crime. What are your thoughts on this? Do do those movies invoke any emotions for you at all? Like, do you I know that you're a feel good guy, but how do you kind of ultimately feel throughout the entire watching experience? Yeah. So, I mean, all with the exception of the Irishman, I don't even remember that movie. Like it's so forgettable for me, which is sad, but we watched it the one time and I'll never watch it again. I they say never say never, but I'm pretty sure I'll never watch the Irishman. again. (laughs) And, uh, but I mean, let's substitute that for, uh, like the departed, right? I fucking love the departed. And if we were to add up casino, the departed, Goodfellas, and Wolf of wall street, I mean, that's, that's like almost 60 viewings of movies that I've probably watched. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, I mean, I just love him so much. And like Wolf of Wall Street is interesting because, you know, he's not a mobster per se. He's just a terrible man. And it's filmed in a very fun way. Uh, and, you know, it also shows the 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 glamorous life. And, and it's a lot of fun. And I think that's the main takeaway for me is that all of these movies are really fun. And it shows that this this awesome lifestyle and I get really happy and excited watching it. I'm like, man, it's so fucking cool. But then that last 30 minutes or so, I'm just like, oh, man, it sucks to be these people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they all crash hard casino. That's one where I mean, I, I've seen that movie a billion trillion times. And I personally rank casino over Goodfellas, but that's just me. And uh, I mean, the ending to that is just so goddamn brutal. I, it makes me makes the Lord very nervous when when Joe Pesci is getting beat with the bat and he's got to watch his brother get beat to death I first. Hate, I hate watching that part. Yeah, yeah. that's hardcore, man. Um, but they're all just really, and then f- fucking departed. All, like eight people die in like four seconds. There's <laughs> just an elevator opens. Boom shot. Another guy comes around. Boom shot. Another guy comes around. Boom shot. And then, and then the last guy gets killed and he's just like, Oh my God credits. And you, you just, your heart stops for a second. But it's a lot of fun. I, I just enjoy the shit out of it. It's something about the way they talk. Um, I mean, they're walking like they're talking, right? But then, then there's these these random, just super violent scenes that just kind of remind you that, yeah, this isn't this isn't the good life to be leading living right now. You know, like and departed when when they throw off Martin Sheen from the from the rooftop, and he's a cop. He's supposed to be untouchable, and they just throw him right off a fucking building, and then he lands right in front of Leo, and that blood splatters everywhere. That's disgusting. Like, I'm on board for this movie. I think it's so cool. And then that something like that happens. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I hate this. <laughs> uh, so I do think that at the end of the day, it's his, excuse me, his style of filmmaking sucks you right in. And then you just get these reminders of how horrible this life really is. And there's a couple of moments like that in Goodfellas as well, like with the, with the trunk 
with anytime Tommy's on the scene, uh, in the scene, because he just is a is a creeper and murders people at the drop of a hat. Uh, there's just a couple of reminders that just that tell you like ah, this isn't a, this isn't the best way of life. Yeah. I mean, I think all those movies can be categorized as, as basically feel bad movies. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel good when I watch them. I'm I still I, I'm with you. I'm entertained. and I'm like, man, these are awesome to watch because it's just it is fun. But I don't feel great. Like Wolf of Wall Street. I'm like, Jesus. And he still is like teaching these classes and stuff. But yeah. this guy's a con artist. I know. He's you know, terrible. or or even Henry. I'm like, Henry's still a piece of shit and he gets kind <laughs> of a happy ending. So I don't feel good about that, but that's a whole point is Scorsese is not trying to sugarcoat it. He's like, it's not all shits and giggle, you know? So basically um, the ending leaves us covered in, in this filth that may be hard to wash off for a couple of days. And I think he's, he's great with that kind of stuff. So despite this though, we keep flocking back to them. So why, why are you and I amongst many? Why do we keep going back? Like it is fun. I get it. But, how how do we define that fun? Why are we still coming back to it? You know, I don't know. So you say feel bad, but when I watch these movies, I'm I'm laughing and I'm having a good <laughs> I'm time. I'm laughing too, but I, I still don't. I'm like, they just killed somebody and I'm laughing, but I'm like, why am I laughing? Maybe I'm scared. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. And like, I just, I find myself quoting these movies as I'm watching them and, <laughs> and I'm just having such a good time. Like even when I was watching Goodfellas last night, I was quoting... Well, or no, it was two nights ago. It doesn't matter. But I was quoting Casino as I was watching it. I was like, Carmine left. He's not here. <laughs> Carmine's gone. <laughs> and like <laughs> the movie's playing and I'm quoting a whole nother movie, just having a good time and laughing and cracking up. And I, I can't explain it. I just, I think it's so funny. And, and I laugh so much. And like Joe Pesci is so crazy and off the walls. Like when he's like, I like this one. You got one dog going one way, one dog going the other way. And this yeah. guy's like, hey, yeah. what do you want from me? It's <laughs> a good set of white hair on him too. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's so funny. And, and I think most of it is just being so quotable, and especially over the years. I've, I've quoted, I've exhausted the lines of dialogue from both Goodfellas and Casino to the point where I could do like a one-man play of these movies. And so uh, as I'm watching it, I'm usually just having a good time. I think one scene that really brings it, it brings it to mind or sheds light on what I'm trying to get at is uh, when they are about to burn down the bamboo lounge and him and Joe Pesci, Henry Hill and Joe Pesci are sitting in the car and they're talking, you know, Tommy's talking about the, the date with the Jewish girl. It's just so it breaks from from the seriousness of what they're doing. They're just talking about like, oh, you know, I got this broad and she got another girl or whatever. I'm really trying to bang her sort of thing. Um that really shifts the the tone, I think, because they're doing this serious, terrible thing, but they're also just talking about their everyday life things. And I, I think of uh, Pulp Fiction, right? Pulp Fiction, they do that too. And they're, you know what they got in, in England? They got a Royale with cheese sort of thing. Right. They just, they killed everybody. And I think it's just, and Marvin, when they, when they end up shooting Marvin on accident. <laughs> and you laugh about it too. You, you do, and we shouldn't be laughing because it's a serious <laughs> thing, but it's played so lighthearted. And I think that, that Scorsese does a very good job of, of introducing all of that in here. And that's why Joe Pesci is just on point in this movie where even, even the, the part that he goes from, they're all laughing and, and it seems really genuine. And, you know, he's like, wait, 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 what do you, what do you mean? Funny, right? Just completely shifts the tone the entire way. You're like, Holy shit, I'm terrified. And he's like, Oh, I almost got you. And then you're like, okay, now I can laugh about it. Yeah. That, that is an edgy scene. man. It's it's, but it's, it, they do. They, that's why I like this movie is because, you're like, I know I'm supposed to treat this serious, but 
holy shit, like, there are some stupid people who are out there buying brand new Cadillacs after they just fucking robbed it like an airport, <laughs> and you're leaving a little bread uh, crumb trail for the police right there. I just, it's in, insane, and, and De Niro's reaction to that is so great, so they don't take it too serious in this movie and the same same with pretty much everything else that Scorsese has done it's they've been serious but he's had moments of, of brevity that are you know a, a little a reprieve I should say that are less serious um this one probably more so than other ones like Taxi Driver is just a pretty dark movie and King of Comedy is the same kind of way but um yeah I haven't seen Mean Streets actually mm-hmm. so I'm not really 100% sure so cool. I will jump back to question number five. Mambo number five. So I feel Hello, like we... <laughs> Angela on the thing. <laughs> I feel like we need we may need to change this uh, podcast to the Robert De Niro podcast because this is our seventh movie we have reviewed with him in it. Can you believe that? Seven movies with, yeah, with Bobby crazy. D. We've done Bobby Joker. DBC <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh, there you go. Bobby DBC. <laughs> Do you think he'd sign off on it? He'd be like, use guys. Use guys are good. Yeah. Um, I'd be like, Jerusalem to Lippo. Oh, that's right. You don't know shit about podcasts. <laughs> I heard uh, things. We did Joker, Casino, The Irishman, Copland, Godfather Part 2, Goodfellas, and Meet the Parents. Mm-hmm. Crazy times, right? We have seen the man be funny, scary, weird, and charming. But where does Jimmy Conway rank in Robert De Niro's career? What about Tommy for Joe Pesci? Yeah, so I mean, I think Jimmy Conway is one of my favorite characters of his. I mean, I do like uh, his role in Meet the Parents. I think that Jack Burns is hysterical. Uh, I think his physical comedy in that movie is pretty great. Um, and then, like, Godfather Part Two is good and all, but it's a different kind of De Niro, you know, he's playing almost like a soft character. You know, he, he obviously turns into Vito Corleone and that's great and all, but as you're watching it, he's very much a family man. He's very much a sweetheart. And then he, you know, flips the script and everything. But I think what's interesting about Jimmy Conway is that he is, you know, this grifter from the start, you know, like he is 100% a criminal uh, through and through uh, he's okay beating the hell out of somebody. He's okay killing somebody. Uh, and and he keeps Joe Pesci's character. He keeps Tommy on a short leash, but even he can't control him when it's all said and done. But I do like I do like the his range in it. Like, you know, he can be a tough guy, but he also breaks down and cries when he loses Tommy, which I think is really sad. Um, and I, I think that Jimmy Conway is probably my favorite role of his. That's a big statement. I agree with how many amazing characters he's had. That's uh, it's it's hard to pick. I don't know if he's my absolute favorite. I'd have to probably sit and ponder a little bit longer on that one. But I I think how you said it best to start this this kind of was the culmination of what Robert De Niro is and what he would be his past, present, and future. This is Robert De Niro through and through. Jake LaMotta was really good in Raging Bull. Um, he's just a broken, weird man, and it's it's terrifying. I think Bobby D took the Oscar for that one, but he Jimmy Conway is is scary yet he looks approachable at times um and he's he's the person that you don't want to piss off but you're he's kind of that that mediary he's between yeah he's got a head on his shoulders yeah yeah he's between henry who's a little softer and tommy who's just out of control he's like we're not gonna do this he's like are you fucking kidding me you shot him because you know he said fuck you to you yeah that sort of thing he's like a father figure he's got a head on his shoulders he's got the experience he's mm -hmm. been around 
and he's someone that they all look up to, which I think is great. Yeah, but like you know, when when uh, Tommy kills uh, Joey Bat, not Joey Bats, but Bats, Billy Bats, Billy Bats. There you go. Jimmy doesn't hesitate at all helping him, even though he knows he's a made man. He doesn't hesitate at all. So I mean, he's like, you know, he he's my, he's my dude. He's got my back, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So he's very very loyal. Uh, but I I would not argue with you seeing that this is his his best performance. I'd probably have to. It's keep my favorite. More. Yeah. yeah, I think analyze this is his best performance. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about uh, Tommy for Joe Pesci? Do you think this is his best performance, like the pinnacle? Uh, it's definitely a scariest role, I think. I think he is nuts. And I mean, and I love him in, in Casino as well. But I my favorite role for Joe Pesci is Leo Getz. Uh, from <laughs> whatever, Leo, whatever you want, Leo Getz. <laughs> fucking Leo Getz in Lethal Weapon 2 is just the funniest fucking guy ever, dude. I love him <laughs> so much. And then the way how he grows that character, I think, is just awesome. Uh, and there's another movie called The Super, where he's a superintendent of a building that he owns that was gifted, given to him by his dad. And it's a comedy, and it is so fucking funny. And it's probably like a it's probably a two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but I think it's absolutely hysterical, and I really love his performance. But this is definitely, I think. Uh, his scariest role, and I believe him one hundred percent. I think he's just a loose cannon, and you know, if I could watch Goodfellas again for the very first time right now, I know that I would be 100% uncomfortable the entire time he's on screen. He's terrifying, and it's yeah. weird because he's so small. He does a good job in Casino with it, too, but I think Tommy is scarier than, I forgot his character's name in Casino. Nikki. Nikki, yeah. Uh, I, I think he's he's scarier in this movie because he is just so... He could snap, fly off the handle kind of guy. But actually, I think my favorite performance of his might be as uh, Vinny and my cousin Vinny. Oh, uh, yeah, that's incredible. For that, that's that's probably the right answer. And I, I just think because he seems like this, I mean, you know, he's a fish out of water, like he just passed law school and it's his first case and you, you want to undercut him, but he does so well. And I just love the courtroom work that he does. And it's it's a good example for anybody going through law school. I was reading this article about it because it's about discovery and it's about finding out, looking beyond basically your your, your witnesses and, and thinking externally about uh, exigent circumstances or or things like, well, you know, don't you need glasses? Like, look at how far I am away sort of thing. It's all the mm-hmm. Utes. It's the Utes problem. Mrs. <laughs> Riley and yeah. only Mrs. Riley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that movie's great, dude. I, I fucking know. Uh, my how do you like your grits? How do yeah. you like your grits? <laughs> Regular, creamy or authentic? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's no it's, self-respect. And I'm already talking about instant grits. <laughs> <laughs> so good uh, but i mean he's using he's using what he knows his street smarts to solve a case and it works so goddamn well and unfortunately like our law system law system's broken i won't get into that but that's what you have to do to sometimes prove people are innocent because people are going to want to see what they want to see and be like well this person's guilty because they listen to heavy metal but if you yeah. prove everything else he shows exactly what you need to do it's the eyewitness testimony right like i mean they had scientific evidence that still wasn't good enough because they had three eyewitnesses at the scene yeah and that's exhausting right because everyone's gonna see something different but the, for some reason juries to this day still trust eyewitness testimony over fucking science it's so crazy i, I seen it i yeah. seen it yeah i don't i don't like that but cool well excellent i i really enjoy that quite a bit so i'm gonna jump back to tommy again he's pretty out of control and unpredictable like we've been saying do you know anyone like that personally? Maybe not someone who could kill someone, but a person who could basically just Thanos snap. 
Yeah. Uh, so a couple episodes ago, I was talking about this time where I was playing baseball and I hit the ball and it hit the pitcher right in the chest and I continued <laughs> to run around and score like a, like an infield home run, basically. <laughs> Everyone was guy, helping him and you were like, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. No, that guy, honestly, he's a, he's a loose cannon, man. I would not be surprised if he turned into a Cameron Poe and got into a drunken bar fight and, and killed somebody. <laughs> I'm trying to dance with my wife. <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, he is a little bit, uh, unhinged and, uh, he is the first person I would think of, uh, to equate, uh, close to Tommy. I can't think of anybody I know. I, I've definitely run into people in my life that have been like that, that maybe in college they were an acquaintance or a friend of a friend, and you're just like, I don't really want to hang out with Billy anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But I do remember one time in college I was at a uh, a pita pit. My friends and I, were at, we left a bar, and we went to the pita pit uh, to get some pitas because we were hungry. And this guy randomly was just talking shit to my friend john who's just like a bigger tall he's pretty buff like guy and he just was randomly talking shit and john's like all right man whatever and we were just trying to order and i turned around and i said something i was like dude just eat your pita and and then his friend just stands up he's like oh what are you gonna do about it just zero to like 60 like that and i'm like hey calm down and then the pita pit guy who was just yoked at his mind he's like everybody get out now and i was like but i want my pita (laughs) and the guy wanted to fight us and i'm like we're not gonna fucking fight dude you're he's crazy but it was weird because he was just sitting eating his pita and as soon as i turn around and said something he just throws it down and stands up right away um that was pretty gnarly (laughs) and then another time when i was at the north face outlet i was trying to buy a bag before i went to new zealand and i it was really busy I went behind this guy and I was like, oh, I was like, excuse me, because I needed to get to where he was and he wouldn't move. So I was like, okay. And I just kind of snuck in and, and looked and I'm like, ah, that's not the price I want. And I walked away and he said something. He's like, fuck you or whatever. And I stopped and I was like, excuse me, what'd you say? And then he turns around. He's like, you heard what I said. He's like, you want to go outside and fight right now? And I was like, whoa, man, like, no, I don't. I really apologize. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't. I said, excuse me. I thought you heard me. And he's like, no, fuck that. Let's go fight right now. And I'm like, no, I really don't want to. I <laughs> I just want to buy a bag. <laughs> and it was crazy. And then so he went outside. And then his wife with their little son, this was sad. They're like maybe eight-year-old son. She was yelling at me. And she's like, you're such a piece of shit. You're a pussy, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, what is going on? So I went and I told the store manager. I'm like, hey, can you call like security or the police or something? I don't know what's going on right now. This guy's obviously having a really bad day, but I'm not going to fight him over a over a excuse me moment. Um, and I apologized to him profusely. I was like, hey, I'm really sorry. Like, sure, I'm, I'm an asshole. I'll take it. Um, I'm not going to fight you because I'm an adult. And he I don't know what was going on in his mind, but he snapped. He probably had something going on and it was just it was weird. And and that's what you have to be terrified of. Right. Cause he could have had a gun or a knife or whatever. And that's not worth it to me. Right. Especially now want... in so many States now they're like, Oh yeah, just anybody can carry a gun now. No big deal. Where everybody thinks they're fucking GI Joe. Yeah. yeah. Like shipwreck. The little sailor guy with the parrot. <sighs> the more, you know, he's my favorite. GI Joe. <laughs> my favorite GI Joe is Cobra commander. I don't know. He is not a Joe. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I haven't. I don't remember any GI Joe stuff. They are doing the 35th anniversary of the movie, though, pretty soon. Oh man! I, know. I like Doctor Mindbender with his little monocle. I remember Sergeant Slaughter was on one one time. Yeah, he's great. And then he was a wrestler too. He's got a whistle. Does he? 
Yeah, because he's like a drill sergeant. He's got to have a whistle. It's like an reminds, accessory. It reminds me of the Simpsons when Bart and Lisa go to military school and Lisa can't handle weapons, so the drill, instu- drill instructor gives her a whistle and he goes, here, use this. If there's a war, blow the whistle and we'll come and save you. So, there you go. That's how Sergeant Slaughter did it. Simpsons did it. Simpsons yeah. did it. There you go. Moving on. This movie is jam-packed with great moments, as we've been discussing. What are your favorite scenes? Oh my gosh, my favorite scenes. Uh, let's see the the why the fuck am I funny one? I think is really good. Uh, the long steady cam shot to the restaurant is one of my other favorites. The scene where they go to Tommy's mom's house and um, they're just kind of dining and eating. I think that Martin Scorsese's mom is so adorable and she's she just, so sweet. She, yeah, she just lights up the screen. I love that scene. Uh, and that has the you got one dog going one way, one dog going the other way. <laughs> Uh, I really like that. And then I really like it when uh, everyone keeps coming in with new things that they bought and Jimmy's yelling at them. Like, what did I tell you? Didn't I say don't buy anything? I really like that scene. And then I really like it when he kills them all and the music's playing and it's doing all the different close-ups of how all these different people died. Um, I like that a lot. You like the murder. Yeah, those those are my favorite scenes. I think the Copacabana scene is probably my favorite um, just because of how it's done. And it it really entices you to this life. This is before Henry has gotten. Well, I mean, I'm sure he's in deep, but this is before we really see the terrible happen. So it it, it entices us. And like I said earlier, it seduces us. And that just shot is done brilliantly. And it's one of the one of the best uh, one takes of scene. Right. So I really like that shot a lot. And then also the the funny house scene, because you realize that, holy shit, Tommy is very terrifying. And no matter what, even if you're surrounded by people, you know, it's not it's not going to matter. I mean, he could he could shoot you at the drop of a hat. So I would always have my guard up around Tommy. They just do such a fantastic job with it. The yeah, Monta- it showed yeah. everyone was so scared of him, like the, so the scared. was scared of him. The, the owner was scared of him. Even Henry was scared of him. So I did a really good job of showing that he's a loose cannon. Yeah. So, I mean, that sets him up very nicely. And then the montage scene at the end on May 11th is is very well done, where Ray Liotta has to do, it's basically a time-by-time sort of thing, and he's checking out the helicopters, and he goes and he sells the guns, and just everything goes goes out of whack. It's It gives me anxiety in a certain sense, and I'm just like, uh, just stop make your goddamn veal and meatballs like you're you're making your brother stir the sauce too much and he's in a goddamn wheelchair he's gonna burn himself poor kid's been staring at sauce all day. i know i feel bad for him he's also the guy in like super bad and a couple other movies we've seen too it's pretty funny but according to the american film institute this movie is ranked number oh man number 92 on the top 100 greatest films of all time woof buzz your girlfriend does it deserve to be higher or lower in your opinion? Uh, well, I mean, I think that, I mean, lists are all subjective, right? It's, sure. it's fun and dandy, but. But Justin, this is the AFI. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, again, I would put Casino over it and Casino isn't even in this on this list. So there's that. Uh, I mean, I'm OK with it in the in the top 100. I guess it could be in like the bottom like the, the top 50, you know, like one through 50, that that top 50. Um, and, and I wouldn't complain. I, th- I think it would be I think it, it's worthy of a top 50. 
I believe it needs to be in the top 50. I think because of what it did for film and because it kind of, it, it kept introducing this genre of feel bad movies, as I call them, uh, the, the gritty spaghetti Westerns that you were, you were talking about. I think it's just influential. And if, if we have movies like citizen Kane, which is not a great movie, um, I'm sure a lot of people have said that, <laughs> but for what it did for film. Yeah, sure. Of course that was yeah, groundbreaking. That's right? the merits of this AFI list though. A lot exactly. of it is, is the groundbreaking moments that they have. And honestly, like, so movies, uh, like, we both love Hitchcock, but Vertigo is not my favorite Hitchcock movie. I watched it, and I was like, this is a problematic film. There are moments that I really enjoy, and I think for what it did for film was awesome. But I would take Rear Window, you know, seven days out of the week o- over that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that is not ranked as as high. I think Rear Window is way lower than, than um, uh, what movie did I just say? Vertigo. Vertigo is in the top 10, which is crazy. Some of the egregious ones that I saw were the Fellowship of the Ring is ranked 50, which is crazy to me. I think the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, just everything. If we're talking merits of filmmaking and whatnot, that needs to be in the goddamn top 10 because to film three consecutive movies or like back to back to back and to create a worldwide phenomenon that still has staying power over all these years and everything that went into it Come on, get out of town. Raiders of the Lost Ark is 66. That needs to be higher because that brought back the action adventure genre and gave us something that was so incredibly memorable in the sense of uh, the the theme music, the outfit, and just a character that we all can relate. We could see somebody walking with a fedora and a shirt and a bullwhip and be like, that's Indiana Jones. Um, I think that's important. The Godfather Part 2 is number 32 and the godfather one is number two i don't get that um yes there the godfather two is or the godfather one is very very good but i personally think the godfather part two is slightly better even if not everybody thinks that there's no reason why the godfather part two shouldn't be in the top 10 i think that they probably well okay that may be true but i think they're doing it based on the merit of you wouldn't have the godfather part two without having the godfather And that's totally fair. Well, then let me ask you this. Do you think Empire Strikes Back should be higher than A New Hope? Uh, I mean, I think it's better and I enjoy it more. So I would say yes. But if this whole the way this list seems appears to be working is that it's the originality piece that opens the door for other things. True. Gets it on the list. Which seems very odd. By the logic of this list and A New Hope would have to be first. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and it and it's it is it's number 15 i think yeah. um saving private ryan is 71 which so that's another yeah. way back to the intros that was a pretty gnarly intro that was an insane to intro. A movie yeah <laughs> that was i was like what am i getting into i don't like that <laughs> i don't like it one bit i don't i don't want to go to the war yeah. holy Bats. shit Not and then it. Uh, the one that makes me the angriest because i think this is a perfect getting movie. angrier and angrier <laughs> getting angrier and angrier <laughs> The Angier Whopper, uh, Shawshank Redemption is number 72 on this list. And I, I don't even I think that completely negates the the validity of this entire goddamn list by putting the Shawshank Redemption at number 72. That is a near perfect film. I would probably say no, it's a perfect film. I could watch that movie over and over again and just love every moment of it. And I cannot believe that it is number 72. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah, I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, I don't, for I don't me, know. I mean, I don't, Shawshank Redemption isn't my 
favorite film, but I think it deserves to be in probably the top three of this list. Easily. Uh, if you put it at one, two, or three, I would not argue with you. Uh, but, I mean, I just happen to be that guy that likes fucking Jaws and Starship Troopers. So. <laughs> Jaws that, is on the list. That, Starship, <laughs> I think Starship Troopers is number 10, yeah. too. <laughs> so that's just where I land on the whole thing, but I, I would not call you crazy if you had it as one, two, or three. I think Welcome to the Dollhouse made it in the top 20, too. Now so. we're talking. Now, that's an exceptional <laughs> list. That, that gives yeah. it credibility. <laughs> yeah. Gives you uh, Cavender ability. Yeah. No, we're talking. But Casablanca's number three, Godfather number two. I mean, that's that's fair. Raging Bull, and that's high. Uh, number four. Uh, I mean, it's good. For me, it's good, but it's not number four good. No, it's not. I, I've seen Raging Bull once, and I liked it. Um, I wasn't as blown away with it. Has it has the same cast. <laughs> I know, it really does. And a lot of these movies are pre-2000, which is fine, but your oldest movie or your, I guess, newest movie in the, in the top 10. Well, in the top 10 is Schindler's List, and that was 93. Oh, okay, so yeah. I think there's something to be said about like, I understand the sanctity of, of Hollywood and and having older films have hallmarks. But just because it was the first doesn't mean it's the best. And mm-hmm. so I've never seen Gone with the Wind, and I don't think I ever want to, honestly. Um, so out of respect, sure, it's an OG and keep it in the top 10 if you want, but I'm good without putting it in there. And yeah, I'd rather have some other some other films like Raiders or like, <laughs> you know, Saving Private Ryan or something like that. Sure. So it's, it's well, maybe when you're president of AFI, you can get some new blood in there and you can mix it up a little bit. Zach Rancor, the president, wrote yeah. you. <laughs> Old Mary Todd's calling. Um, yeah, so anyways, that's the AFI list. But then finally, Justin, I want to cap this off and say that we all know that you love organized crime. What, what would your mafia name be? Because I'm thinking Jumpin' Justin, Justin the Sandwich, or maybe even something like Justin the Shiv Cavender. Ooh, the Shiv. <laughs> you stab people. Stabby, Shiv. stabby. <laughs> Justin the Shiv LaBeouf. I'm comedic how? How am I comedic? Yeah. <laughs> no, man, I'd be like something like... Um... Like uh, Justin Sweet Tooth Cavender or something like that. Because he likes candy. (laughs) (laughs) He's always eating candy, this one. See, (laughs) what I tell you, what I tell you, you're going to go to the dentist. Yeah, they call me Sweet Tooth. Sweet Tooth. Is it Tooth or Tooth? It it depends on which side of the bridge you're on, I suppose. But it's uh, it'll be great. I'll be Justin Sweet Tooth Cavender. Sweet tooth. Mine would be Zach, my freaking head and rancor. There you go. <laughs> I'd always be bumping my head into things and getting into all sorts of shenanigans. So, yeah. Um, Goodfellas, man. That is the movie. We, I'm sure we could talk longer about it, but I'm going to keep it brief. What are your final thoughts and letter grade for this movie? Sure. I love it a lot. It's a great movie. It's a good movie. You should go see it. Uh, this is one that uh, I have just exhausted uh, in, in these 42 years that I've been on this planet and it's been around for, for what, 32 of those years. And, uh, my goodness, it's, uh, it's a good movie. And, um, I love the music. I love the, I don't want to say I love the violence, but I do like being uncomfortable. And this movie has a lot of moments that make me uncomfortable. And again, if I could just rewatch it again for the first time, uh, that would be quite an experience. I, I, I am hard pressed to find anybody in my life that doesn't enjoy this movie. It's highly quotable. 
um it's it's a quite a wild ride and um the the idea that a lot of it is real is horrifying and um yeah i give it an a me too so i absolutely love this movie it's an a plus for me though um i i think it just keeps getting better and better each time i watch it i've probably seen it about 10 times and it's it's long but it's not very it's not that long it's not as long as like casino which is quite quite a quite a journey or you know the godfather godfather part two um those are very long movies but they just flow so well all those movies i just said flow so well and casino even though it's like three hours it's it's not that rough to watch Mm -hmm. um i'm enjoying pretty much every moment of it and so this movie is is no exception to that i'm enjoying every moment i could kind of see what the critics are saying like after tommy dies there's a lull but i really i really liked that so you know, thinking Karen's going to die, thinking Jimmy's no, 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 keep going down. It's, it's just that door down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going down. I'm like, nope, I would peace out very, very quickly. So, yeah, we didn't talk about Karen. So there's a couple of things, a couple of points I forgot to bring up. One is Karen. Her character is really hard to like. You know, she <laughs> is a very like a naggy person. You know, it's like she comes off as always yelling, always having a problem. Uh, and, you know, Henry's out having a good time. And she's comes off as this voice of just, uh noise you know like she's always just in the way and and she has very valid points you know i'm not trying to say that she's a horrible like wife or person quite the opposite but her character is played in such a way that she's just nagging all the time and it's (laughs) obnoxious to me i don't like it and uh earlier you were talking about the fourth wall and how that breaks uh, a couple of times and casino is very much breaking the fourth wall you know they're telling us this story like uh we're being like uh they're being interrogated or interviewed or something and we're the interviewee or -hmm. interviewer rather and um i i like that there's even a couple of shots where you know introduces somebody and they look at the camera in a way like hey they're winking at you you know there's a lot of that in casino and i can certainly appreciate that because it it just sort of reminds you that that you're along for the ride in this sort of curated tour through this unique lifestyle that only so few people on this planet would really understand yeah very well said i agree with you on that one so i apologize for not talking about karen i was just uh yeah no that's fine i'm sorry i brought it up no you, you brought up a good point it's you're absolutely right she was you know she was a person who had no idea like when she talks about the mob wives and explains what they look like you know they're ugly with all their makeup and whatnot all but, beat up and rough yeah, looking. yeah yeah but i mean and then she ends up embracing that life so it's just so interesting because she's an outsider but then she's not shy and or upset about taking money from henry so yeah it's um uh, i think that's what we're we're supposed to kind of be in, in a certain sense we're supposed to be karen where we're like enticed by this world and mm-hmm. seduced by it and like well the money's pretty nice so yeah so i told him I said, keep fucking hands off me before I chop them up. <laughs> there you go. Okay, well, that's all I have for good fellas. Good sir. Uh, are we ready to leave? Yeah, take it back. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> so thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us, and we will discuss them on our show. You can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Please just make sure that it is streaming and available so we don't have to purchase it. Um, Because we don't like to spend money. We're in a recession. 
Make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Additionally, we are also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening, and please don't be crazy. Thank you so much.